Welcome to the Access Church Podcast. We exist to bring you life-changing and life-giving content to help you on your lifelong journey with Jesus. To learn more about who we are, visit accesschurch.com. That's access spelled A-X-E-S-S. Let's jump right into it. This is actually our last week in this uh, series called Small Beginnings. We went into this with one objective, which was discovering what does it look like to have a new beginning with God, or a small beginning, in, in other words, and why does God start that way? And we've journeyed through, and I hope that now getting to the last week, you have started to see that God is a God of small beginnings. And it's not by chance that he does it. It's not because he has to do it that way, but because God prefers to do it that way. There's many benefits to starting small, and this is God's preferred way of doing things. We've talked about the promising nature of God. We've talked about some of the challenges that we encounter during small beginnings. And Today, we're going to wrap up looking at what happens when we actually get to the promise. We've been talking about journeying to the promise, the starting point, but what happens, oh, excuse me, that was loud, uh, what happens when we actually get there? Let me ask you a question really quick just to think of. Polaroid, the railroads, and Blackberry, what do they all have in common? I want you to think about that for a second. Did you say Coffee? <laughs> yes, you're right. They were, they were each innovators of their time, but they failed to evolve over time. They changed the way that people captured memories. They shifted global transportation, and they made work on the go easier than ever before. But where are they today? They all exist, but they are nowhere near their former glory. They're nowhere near their former glory. How did, they get, how did they get to this place where they still exist, but they're not what they used to be? Well, they lost that spirit of innovation that they had at first, that drove them at first, that moved them to create things that changed culture and changed the way that people lived. And even churches like us just a sobering reminder, we have the same challenge before us. I'm not sure if you knew this, but statistically speaking, church plants are actually the, the greatest uh, evangelistic tool that the church has. And I think that there's a logic behind that because as you see around us, we've been talking about small beginnings, and part of small beginnings is just small numbers, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's okay, especially when you're starting out. But we all know that we're not here just for this group of people here, Right? We know that we're here to reach the lost in Glen Ellen. And that's so obvious and it's so apparent when you're a church plant. So what do you do? You go out and evangelize. You go out and do community outreaches. You're finding every opportunity that you can to reach the community. And guess what? It works. They say on average that up to 80% of a new church's congregation is new people that come in. Because you have this zeal to go out and reach the community. But what happens when you get to 100, 125 people in your church? What happens when you've reached a lot of people and you start discipling people and you get to a place where the bills are being paid, the, the pews are full, people are here, life groups are starting up? What happens? You get comfortable. 
right? You get used to it. Oh, this is great. This is what we wanted. And unfortunately, what we see time and time again is that that original evangelistic zeal starts to die down because now we're comfortable with what we've done, with where we have gotten. And this very thing that happens where the flame dims and the idea of journeying towards a promise is far forgotten because you're already enjoying it at that time. This is what Moses was trying to protect the Israelites from. And that's what we're going to look at today. So would you turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. While you're on your way there, I want to give a little bit of background. Put my water on too tight. I want to give a little background on the book of Deuteronomy. First off, if you didn't know this, Deuteronomy, the first word there, deutero, actually means second. So Deuteronomy as a whole actually means second law or repeated law. And that's the essence of what the entire book of Deuteronomy is. It is a repetition of things that have already been said before, that Moses has already shared with the Israelites before. But the heart behind it is something that I think is captured well, where any parent in the room has probably had this experience before. I'm not a parent, but as a child, I've been on the receiving end of this uh, experience before, which is when you're getting ready to take your kid into whatever location or what place or group of people, and you think there's a faintest idea that they could do something that will embarrass you. What you do before you get into that space is you typically pull them to the side, hopefully it's gently, and you get down, you get eye level with them, and you say, don't embarrass me when we go inside. <laughs> do not embarrass me. Don't say anything silly. These are the off top, don't, so don't say anything, don't tell these stories. You prepare them because once we get in, you want to make sure they're on their best behavior, right? And that's what Moses is doing with the Israelites right here. He's getting down on their level and he's saying, if you embarrass me when we get over to the promised land, I'm going to be very upset with you. I'm going to be very upset with you. Now, the interesting thing is at this point, Moses already knows that he's not going to the promised land. God has already broken the news to him that Moses is going to be staying on the other side of the Jordan. So he's done all this work with the Israelites thus far. He's gotten them this far. He's given them the law. He's given them a lot of additional commandments to live their lives by from God. But he already knows that he will not be journeying into the promised land with them. So Moses is reminding them in the book of Deuteronomy of some things that he thinks are key for them to remember. Chief of which is the fact that God saved them from Egypt. He saved them from the oppression of Pharaoh in his regime, and he did it with a mighty arm. He did it in a mighty way. It wasn't a small thing that God did. But he also reminds them of their rebellion in the wilderness. And he reminds them of the resulting judgment that they faced because of that. He reminds them of the laws and the commandments of God. He repeats them verbatim. 
He reminds them of the blessings and the curses that will follow them based on their obedience once they get into the promised land. Something to note is that Moses reminds them of everything that happened, good and bad. He doesn't leave out the bad stuff and cater to their emotions. He reminds them of the entire story thus far. And it's key that he does this before he gives them their instructions on what to do in the promised land. I think for me, you don't have to turn there, but I think the whole book of Deuteronomy can be summed up in what we find in chapter 5, verses 32 to 33. And this phrase is actually repeated multiple times throughout the book of Deuteronomy. This is just the one I, I picked. But it says, Be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. This is what the book of Deuteronomy is all about. What are you going to do when you get there? And by the way, what you do when you get there will determine what happens when you are there. Moses wanted them to prosper in the land that God was giving them. Moses was giving them everything that they needed to do just that. But remember, they've not entered into the promised land yet. They're still on the other side of the Jordan. And I think that Moses' primary concern about what would happen was found in chapter 6, verse 12, where this is what he says to them. Do not forget the Lord once you get into the land. I think that's really what Moses was concerned about, was that they would forget God once they got into the land. It's important to note, if you think about it, that the value of the promise is actually rooted in the memory of the process. I'm going to say that again. The value of the promise is rooted in the memory of the process. This is why Moses was reminding them of everything that had happened thus far. They're on the doorstep of the promised land. They're about to go in. But Moses spends 12 chapters of Deuteronomy just reminding them of what they've already gone through. The process that they went through is what makes the promised land so special. The previous successes, the hardships, they both added value to the promised land. And once you arrive and you enjoy everything that's there, it's tempting to forget what you went through and how you got there. And this is what Moses was making sure didn't happen. So I entitled the message today, Keep the Process in Your Pocket. Keep the process in your pocket. This is what Moses is reminding them. You're carrying a lot of stuff into the promised land. You're taking your extra tunic and clothes. You're taking some of the food that you've made for the journey. You're taking some of the jewelry that you have left over that you got from the Egyptians. But what I also want you to take with you into the promised land 
is I want you to hold on to the process and the story that we've already journeyed through to get to this point. The process is, it's the cumulative experience of journeying towards a destination. That's what the process is. If you're making brownies, the process is breaking the eggs, putting in the sugar in the flour and mixing it and baking it and figuring out and realizing that you forgot to put something in. That's all part of the process on your way to the destination. And this particular uh, application, their process was all the words from God that they received. It was their struggles, their successes, it was their prayers, the encouragements they received along the way, the the small wins, the large wins, the revelations, the failures, all of it. That was the process. I remember a time back in 2016-ish in there, I went to a conference in Indianapolis with Chi Alpha. Chi Alpha was the college of ministry that I was a part of. And, and once a year, right in the new year, first week of January, they had a conference called SALT, where they would bring all the Great Lakes region uh, Chi Alphas together for one conference. There was at least 800 to 1,000 college students that would go to this. Um, and so we went down there, and it was an amazing time. But I remember the The day before we were getting ready to leave, there was news of this blizzard that was going to come in. And a lot of groups had started murmuring about heading out the day before, heading out early to get back home because they wanted to avoid the weather. And the the leader of the event really wanted all all of us to stay. And he he made that clear. he didn't tell anybody they had to stay, but he, he motivated us. He said, look, this is a short weekend. We're all here for God. He'll keep us safe. Let's, let's just keep going. Let's, and so many of us did, including our group. We, we stuck with it. Well, when it came time to, to drive home, we got on the road, and sure enough, a blizzard had hit Indianapolis, and it was a blizzard. And if you know, is it 65 that goes up? And 65 is already not very well maintained as it is, but now you add at least probably six inches of snow to it. Um, it's a three-hour journey to Indianapolis. It took us about nine and a half to get home, just to illustrate how bad of a storm it was. We were driving very slowly on the highway. You couldn't, you couldn't actually stop because the shoulders were so deep in snow that if you stopped, you were not getting back on the highway. There were so many car accidents that we saw there. It was a rough trip. But the reason I bring that up is because when I think about salt in Indianapolis, and I think about all the things that did happen there, all the spiritual things that did happen there, it was a powerful event that impacted my life. I cannot forget the journey that was associated with it. That journey became embedded in my memory of that event. And the same thing is true when we are journeying towards the promises of God is that when we arrive, when we get to what God has called us to or what we have prayed to God for, we should not forget everything it took to get to that place. We have to keep the process in our pocket. So as Moses is preparing them for the promised land, he focuses in on three key areas of preservation. And these are the three that are going to guide our study today. 
as I mentioned, Moses spends 12 chapters exhorting them to remember and follow the commands that he's giving them on this day. He knew that he was about to speak to them about very valuable things that they needed. But if they forgot, it was of no use. If they forgot those things, it was of no use. So before he gave them a single command or decree or law, he made sure that they were committed to remembering first. This is where he starts. He says you need to preserve the word. You need to preserve the word of God. Would you direct your attention to Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 9? I want you to observe the practicality there of Moses. You know, I just realized I forgot my Bible up here, and I didn't put the, uh, the verses in there. Oh, thanks, Jim. I appreciate it. I'll share that with you. <laughs> okay. Let me read this for us really quick. Deuteronomy 6, 6-9 says, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So observe again the practicality of what Moses is presenting to them in this instruction. He says, attach the memories of the process that you went to to activities and common elements throughout your day. Don't miss this. Moses is getting extremely practical. He doesn't just say, oh, oh yeah, remember the word. He's saying these are simple ways that you can do it. And this is actually a scientifically proven method of remembering things. It's just one of the things that the Bible is way ahead of science on, was pairing memories to things that happen on a consistent basis, and they basically become triggers for the memory, to recall and recall. And this is what Moses is telling them to do, is have triggers throughout your day that recall these memories so that you're able to preserve the word. The first one he says, he says, have the word on your heart. Now, for an ancient Israelite, what that would have meant was he was saying, let the word of God become your logic and reasoning in life. Let the commands and decrees that I am sharing to you about how to live in the promised land, let it become your logic and reasoning. Otherwise, when you get there, there's going to be other cultures around you. You're not going to be the only ones there. And when you're confronted with their ideologies, when you're confronted with their ways of life, how are you going to respond to that? He's saying the word of God needs to become your reason and your logic to the point where you say, this is what the word says, and this is how I'm going to approach the situation that I'm in. So have it upon your hearts. Be the, let it be the first place that you go to in your decision-making process. Then he says, let it be on your lips. Let it be the topic of discussion with family, friends, and even strangers. He says, talk about it while you're in transit. Well, 
back then, they weren't as antisocial as we are nowadays. If they saw a stranger on the road with them, they usually struck up a conversation with them, and they would talk with them. We see this in the road, uh, on the road to Emmaus when Jesus walks with the two disciples. They didn't know it was Jesus. They called him stranger, but they started talking with him. Why? Because that's what you did on the road with complete strangers, but also with family and friends as well when you were traveling. You spoke about things. You had conversation, and Moses is saying when you're doing this, Bring up the law. Bring up the word of the Lord when you're talking. Let it be a part of your conversation. But he also says, let it be outward facing. And that's why he says to fasten it on your arms and to fasten it on your forehead. You see, this was a commitment to the word of the Lord, but it was also an outward facing sign of your loyalty to a specific deity. So this was an ancient practice of the time where they would fasten things to themselves as a way of showing others, this is who I serve. We do the same thing to this day when we wear crosses. That's our way of saying, this is what I believe, this is who I serve. Well, this is what it was for them. It was an outward-facing tool to show their commitment to Yahweh. And the last thing he says is this, He says, let it be on your doorposts and on your gates. Now, this was, as we see in the Passover, to put something on your doorpost uh, was was a, a tool of protection. And this is what they were doing. They put the blood of the lamb on their doorpost to protect them from the angel of death that was coming through. But it's also a tool of preserving the continuity of life between a God and the household that serves that God. This was another ancient practice that would happen. And what Moses is saying here is in order to maintain that relationship between you and Yahweh, your household and Yahweh, put the, the word of the Lord on your doorpost as a way to remember it so that you never forget the one that you serve. But I want you to notice this for a second. Moses is saying all these things while they're still on the other side of the Jordan. They have spent years and years and years wandering through the wilderness with nothing more than a tent to their name and whatever else they carried with them. And it's in this moment that Moses is speaking about a home. He's speaking about a doorpost. And he's speaking about a gate, two things that they did not have at this point. He was already pointing to something that they would have in the promised land. And I think there's a practical thing that we can use today for us. Is we should mark the materialization of the promise with the word of God. Think about this for a second. Mark the promise that has been fulfilled with the word of God. If they had a home, that means that God remained true to his promise because they had a land to call their own. They had a place to build. They had an inheritance that had their name on it. And Moses is saying, mark that thing up with the word of God so you never forget how you got there and how that promise became fulfilled. Keila and I, in our home, we both have pictures 
and we both brought this into our marriage. We have uh, pictures that have significant uh, meaning to each of us just from different things that have happened in our relationship with God. For me, I have a, a picture in, in my home that is symbolic of the first prophetic dream I ever had. And I, and I bought a picture just to always remember that prophetic dream that I had. And Keila has one in our bedroom. It's, a, it's a, a, a beautiful painting, and it has rich meaning to her and her relationship with God. But in our home, we have things that we see on a daily basis that remind us of things that God has done in our lives. When you get the job that you've been praying for, why don't you set your password on your login to the Bible verse that you were praying through every single day when you were trying to get the job. Think through it this way. When God answers my prayer, how can I mark it? When God fulfills a promise, how can I mark it in such a way that the process is embedded into it? So every time I'm there, I'm, I'm reminded of what God did to get me there. It's very common, and I'm sure that you've heard this before, either in person or from somebody else on TV, the phrase, I made this from nothing. I made this from nothing. I came from nothing. See, people that have truly worked hard in life, they are quick to point out the process of how they built what they built. They'll tell you, it was the work of my own hands. And they take pride in that. It becomes a matter of identity for them. But what happens when you didn't earn something? What happens when you didn't earn something? Let's look at verses 10 through 12. Look at what Moses says. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, when you have eaten and are Full. Then he goes on to say, Beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you into this place. Moses reminds them to enjoy what they have not worked for. And this possesses a problem for identity because when we receive and enjoy what we have not worked for, then what do we build our identity on? We can't build our identity on the work of our hands anymore at that point. And if you try to, everybody will say, well, you didn't do that. That's not the work of your hands. And this is probably, I think, the very reason why God gave it to them in the first place was so that they couldn't become conceited and take credit for something that they didn't do. You see, God wanted them to enjoy the land. He wanted them to enjoy everything in the land, but he didn't want them to forget him in the process. I remember one time I was at a, a birthday party when I was in junior high. I was in seventh or eighth grade. 
And at the, at the party, we played a variation of the game hide-and-seek. Now, we were junior hires at this point, so it had some kind of variation to it. This wasn't simple hide-and-go-seek. And I was the one that was out hiding. So I went out, and I hid, and it wasn't a large yard that we were playing in. So the games usually went pretty quickly. I'm hiding, and I could hear all the kids coming after, right, looking around for me. And they hadn't found me yet. I'm still hiding. I could still hear things. And then slowly over time, the noise of them searching for me died down to the point where it got really quiet. And based on this space, it dawned on me, I should still be hearing something because they couldn't go that far off or I couldn't hear anything anymore. So I finally got to the point where I said, all right, this is taking too long. So I popped my head out. I didn't see anybody around. And I ventured to the front of the house to find all my friends eating ice cream. They're all sitting there eating ice cream. And they had no care to come and tell me. Now, that could have been partially a joke that they were playing on me. Or they could have gotten so distracted by this thing that they were enjoying that they forgot the object of the game that they were just playing. You see, when something came along that was more appealing or that was so enveloping to them and their senses that they forgot what they were focused on just minutes earlier, all of a sudden the object of the game was nothing to them. It was all about the ice cream because they lost their focus because they were stuck in just the enjoyment part of it. Now, I want to be clear, God is not against us enjoying things. That's not the issue at hand here. He doesn't say don't enjoy things. But what he does say is don't forget me. The fulfillment of the promise is a result of your identity in God. But it is not the foundation of your identity. The moment you build your identity on the, pros- on the promise you begin to lose sight of how you got to the promise. The blessings of God are meant to draw us closer to God, not pull us away from God. Look at what James says in in James 4.3. He says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Why is this? Why is James saying that God is hearing your prayer, but he's not giving it to you because your motives are all messed up? And what is the motive? To use it on yourself. What does that look like? It looks like getting a blessing and then telling God to stand over there. Thank you. Okay, stay right there. That's what that looks like. And that's what happens when we get into the promise and we're so focused on enjoying it but we forget how we got there. We say, thank you, but stay right there. Enjoying the promise can never become greater than knowing the God of the promise. Enjoying the promise can never become greater than knowing the God of the promise. And I want to close by showing you one great way to make sure that does not happen And it's to preserve the joy. Preserve the joy of the promise. You see, that original 
feeling and excitement of getting into it, of seeing the prayer fulfilled, of seeing the promised land come to fruition. Do you know that that moment doesn't need to fade away? It doesn't need to go away, but it, it does require work. It requires us to work for it, to remember it, to do things that are going to preserve the process of how we got there. I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but if you look at Deuteronomy 8.10, this is what Moses says to them. He says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord for the good land that he has given you. I want to draw your attention to something for a moment. Many of us in this room, this is a good practice, by the way, we pray before we eat. We thank God for what we're going to enjoy. But look at the order that Moses puts this in. He says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord for the good land that he has given you. He says, let the praise come after the enjoyment. Why is that? Because when you do this, when you praise God after you've enjoyed, it keeps God bigger than the promise. It draws your attention away from the satisfaction, away from the enjoyment, and on to the provider. And it keeps God exalted over the good things that he has given you in your life. Enjoy the promises of God. God is all about that. But don't forget him in the process. Don't leave God behind. This is the best way that I can say it, is bring God into the enjoyment. Bring him into it. What if I told you God wants to enjoy the promised land as much as you want to enjoy the promised land? Do you know that he gets excited too to fulfill a promise in your life, to, to bring you the answer to a prayer? He enjoys that. How much does a parent love to spend time with their kid after they've given them a gift? They want to be a part of that enjoyment, a part of living that out and, and using it and putting it to good use. And this is how God is with us. If I can just share one quick example. When, when I went through a job transition back in 2016-2017, it left a, a void. I, I was only working part-time, and, and so it left a void in my income. And something that I never thought would happen, happened. God started opening up, opening up doors for me to do film work again. I had done film work when I was in college, but... God actually asked me to, or more so told me, to give my camera to somebody. I gave up all my film gear. And I, I had thought, okay, like, I'm just done with film, and that's okay. I was just doing it in service to God. And I had written that off in my life. I thought, this is it. But then this door opens with film. And then another door opens, and it continues, and it continues, and continues. And now that's, that's my other my other income now is just to do strictly film work. And I need, the reason I'm sharing this with you is, is because film is a joy to me. It's more than just a job. It's a genuine joy to me. I sit there and I do this work and I think to myself all the time, I can't believe that this is how I get to spend my time. 
I can't believe this is how I get to make a living, is by doing this. But this is what happens is I find myself in that moment just thanking God while I'm in the middle of it. Just thanking God for what he's provided for me. Thanking God for the doors that he has opened. And it dawned on me, just bringing God into the enjoyment of it. Why leave him out there? He's the one that did it in the first place. Come enjoy this with me. Thank you for providing for me.